it's Good Friday. It's a, it's a funny name, but it is a good day because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Um, we've gathered together this evening to celebrate that Jesus, who is truly God, who is truly man, died on a cross for the sins of the world. I mean, that world includes you and me, includes individuals, us. He died and suffered in our place. And so we've gathered to sing, um, to pray, to reflect, and to worship and adore him for what he's done and the love that he has shown us. So let's begin our time. Let's stand and let's pray. Um, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, um, may you be glorified. Lord, we, we remember your sacrifice, your sacrifice of love, um, and that you died in our place, taking the punishment that was ours so that we might be reconciled to God and to each other. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. What wondrous love. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul, oh my soul. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? For my soul to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. For my soul, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb. I will sing to God and to the Lamb who is the great I am while millions join the theme I will sing I will sing 
while millions join the theme, I will sing. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, we're going to walk through seven sayings of Jesus, the last sayings on the cross. Uh, these are sayings of wonder or sayings of, of awe when you start thinking about the meaning. His body turned to ash eventually, but rose from the dead. The finished, final completion of a life. Our God is so incredible when you stop to think about it, when you stop to ponder the character of our God, the heart of our God, the love of our God. The pages of the book speak again and again of the greatness of our God, the love of our God, sacrifice of our God. We call this uh, season his passion. Maybe it was three in the morning when it started, carried on till three in the afternoon. Maybe 12 hours, 14 hours of great suffering and sorrow and grief. Jesus, uh, he knew it was coming, didn't he? He knew when he gave that last supper, and he, he said, this is my body broken for you, and said, this is my blood poured out for you. He, he knew it was coming, and it didn't make it any easier. The arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, the taking of Jesus to high priest residence, the trials that he went through, the beatings, the mocking, the ridicule. Oh, our Jesus, how he loved us. The stories are, are beyond what's written in the scriptures. There's so much to it. There's so, so many different threads woven into the tapestry of his sacrifice for us. What marvelous love. They, uh, they, they found him guilty. The Sanhedrin did. They took him to Pilate. Pilate wouldn't condemn him, sent him to Herod. Herod wouldn't condemn him sent him back to Pilate, and Pilate's hand was forced. Pilate tried to get Jesus off, so to speak, by having him flogged and punished. And he said, isn't this enough? 
where they called for crucifixion. By that time, hours and hours had passed through the early morning and into the daybreak. The blood was already flowing. The pain was already searing. The tears were already on the cheeks of all the women who followed. I imagine some of the men cussing under their breath, clenching their fist, angry at what was happening. Even before he goes to Golgotha, suffering was beyond horrific, beyond terrible. And why? For us. For you and I. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull... There they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Could that be right? Could that be real? They know not what they do. When they struck him with an open palm, when they backhanded him, when they punched him, when they flogged him when they spit on him when they put the crown of thorns on his head they knew what they were doing they wanted him to suffer they wanted him to be humiliated they wanted him to, to hurt when they stripped him naked And nailed him to that instrument of torture. They knew what they were doing. They were trying to kill him. But before he died, they were trying to make him into a nobody, a nothing, a byword. If I would have been an innocent man, going to punishment. Maybe the last thing on my lips would have been, Father, forgive them. If I would have been somebody in Jesus' shoes, if I would have been him on that day, and I'd not done nothing wrong, I would have been angry at the injustice. I would have been rageful at what was taking place at the hands of my accusers, the hands of my abusers, 
the hands of my murderers. But do we read on, on any of these pages of Jesus calling out for vengeance? Do we see any bitterness or any anger flowing from his lips? We, we see, rather, selflessness. We see, rather, a prayer to be unforgiven means to be unreconciled to God. To be unforgiven means that you stand outside of the righteousness of God. You are accused. You are guilty. You are condemned. And so Jesus, our Jesus, who became flesh and bone, ash to ash, dust to dust. He said, Father, forgive them. Can you fathom the depth of, of the love of our God? C can you grasp his heart? Who is this? Who, who is like this? Who could be like this? Jesus brutalized. Jesus terrorized. Jesus torn and bleeding says, it's my heart, Father, that you would have mercy on them. It's my heart, Father, that they'd not be removed from your presence, that you are their God still, that they can, they can be close to you, that, that they could be forgiven, that they could be yours. What wondrous love is this. And we, I, I, I trust that you're all followers of Jesus here. Worshippers of the Lord Jesus. We step back from this and, and we, we come into God's presence tonight. And we, we come into Jesus' presence and we, we, we're, we see his love. And then we look at ourselves. Remember Simon Peter when Jesus took him fishing and, and they caught the big bunch of fish and, and suddenly Simon realizes the power and the wonder and the greatness of his God, the Messiah. He says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. When, when I come to this scene, this, this wondrous act of love, Father, forgive them. I realize in my own heart, my own nature, that I am often not ready to forgive. That I'm not longing for their blessing. Jesus taught us to forgive our enemies. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. And he did it on the cross. 
perhaps tonight, perhaps in this moment when we're just in awe of his love, in awe of his, his heart, that, that he would go all the way and give himself away for us. Maybe at this moment we should spend some time in confession. A time of thanks, but a time of confession and ask him to forgive us. Maybe I can prompt you in a prayer. Would you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We're so grateful for what you did for us. We're so grateful that you would would go all the way innocently without sin, without any evil, without any hint of rebellion. And you would go to the cross for us. We're in awe. But Lord, we confess tonight. Lord, we confess that we are not selfless as you are. We confess that our hearts sometimes want vengeance. In fact, maybe even tonight there's some people that we would consider our enemies that we have not forgiven. We confess that we think of ourselves first. We confess that we pursue our own needs first. We confess that we often glorify ourselves before we think of others' needs. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Amen. Jesus on that cross, um, the hours pass, uh, but the hours feel like an eternity. The minutes pass, the minutes feel like days. The seconds pass, the seconds feel like hours. Will it ever end? Can you imagine? His life is being snuffed out moment by moment. His breath comes in waves, suffocating, trying to breathe, and yet he stays on the cross. Our God could call 12 legions of angels at any moment to come rescue him. Our Lord could say, take me off the cross now, and in an instant he'd be be gone. Can you imagine? He stayed there. He hung there. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but as, as Jesus moved through the city, moved up the hill, there were some people that were calling for justice. He's an innocent man. Let him go. What has he done? But throughout his passion on this Good Friday, Constant mocking, 
constant hatred, constant name-calling. You said you were the great one. You said you were the son of God. You said you were the son of man. You said that you would destroy the temple and three days raise it up again. Won't you do it now? The, the progression in Luke's gospel is really, uh, I think, telling of the progression downward as the day went downward. It started off with the Jewish rulers mocking him. The Sanhedrin, the high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the rulers of the nation, they mocked him and mocked him, and mocked him. But then Luke tells us that the Roman soldiers, they took over mocking Jesus. They took over screaming his name and making fun of him. And then it gets down to the lowest of the low, the dregs. Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Can you imagine the gall of that man? Can you imagine the anger and the hatred of that man? He's dying and he's yelling at Jesus, mocking him, making fun of him. It doesn't get any lower than that. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. It's, it's a great moment in redemptive history. Because basically the man's saying the gospel. The man's reciting the truth. He's saying, here we are, we're getting killed, we're, we're, we're receiving punishment that we deserved. So many people, myself included, sometimes we judge others and we look down on others for the wicked they do, and yet we're so, so uh, gentle with ourselves. We talk about, well, the circumstance was... Or, I did it because I'm justified in doing the things that I did. If you would have been in my shoes. But this man, he comes to a moment of repentance. He comes to a moment of acknowledgement, agreeing with God that he's a sinner. Agreeing with God that his heart is dark and that he's done evil. Have you ever gone there? Or have you always tried to justify yourself? You always tried to make it out like you're the victim, that you've never done anything wrong. It's all everyone else's fault that you thinned the way you did or you did the evil you did, not this man. And it's a great moment because it's a moment of, 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 of coming to grips with our need for a Savior. It's a moment of coming to grips with the fact that we cannot do anything to save ourselves, that we're guilty sinners. And so he says, 
He turns his, his face away from the criminal that's, that's hung across from him. He rebuked him, and now he turns to Jesus. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' second saying on the cross, his second words, his second uh, wondrous, graceful, merciful, loving words. Truly, or amen, 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 I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's amazing grace. That's sin forgiven, not because the man earned it, or the man deserved it, or the man um, bought it. The man humbly came to Jesus and he said, in faith, I believe you're the king. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe the good news that when you said the kingdom's coming and that you were the king, you're going to instill God's kingdom upon the earth. I believe it's going to happen. I believe you're going through this, 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 this journey, this passion, this cross, and it's going to arrive you to where you need to be. When you get there, remember me, and that remember is a huge word. Take note of me. Do not forget me that I trusted in you. And Jesus talks about paradise. Surely paradise is just for the good people, just for those who have deserved it. No. The dregs, like this man and like this man, who have done nothing to earn it or deserve it, Jesus says, today you'll be with me. And, and the, the word paradise there, it's a Persian word. It comes from a Persian background of, of a garden scene, a place of peace, a place of rest, a place of beauty. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Again, I, I, I'm stunned by Jesus' love. I'm stunned by Jesus' presence. I'm stunned by his heart. I mean, he's being tortured, the blood flowing out of his veins, the, the agony of the cross, his lacerations, his open wounds, the mocking. He's in pain himself, but he has the presence of mind to think about somebody else. He has the presence of mind to think about somebody he doesn't have to pay attention to. He doesn't have to talk to. He doesn't have to listen to. And how wondrous a love of a God that we have that even a sinner like me, when I called out to Jesus, he heard my call, and he saved me. <clears throat> he could have ignored the man, but no, he gives him words of peace. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you deserved what you got. And yet, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to justify you. I'm going to declare you righteous. When I come into my kingdom, I will stand before the Father and say, He's mine. He trusted in me. He believed in me alone. The, uh, the sacrifice on the cross 
Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Remember, he's an innocent man. Remember, he never did anything wrong. Remember, he lived a righteous life. He who is rich became spiritually rich, became poor, spiritually empty. For our sakes, that we who are nothing could become, as it were, something. <laughs> we who are impoverished might become rich towards God. The uh, propitiatory sacrifice that we're being witnessed here, that we, we've seen, we've read about, we've studied, covering the man's sin, his blood, Jesus' blood, in the man's place, Jesus' punishment in the man's place, Jesus' death in the man's place. It covered his sin, and it turned away the wrath of God. Jesus took upon himself what we deserve. <clears throat> How come Jesus was on the cross? Wasn't it us? Was it in our sins that he died for? I, I love Jesus so much. I love what he's done for us. I, I'm so grateful for who he is and, and what he accomplished. But what about you? Have you heard the good news tonight? That you as a sinner, you've rebelled against God. You've done what God has said is evil. Maybe the things you've thought over your life, maybe the things you've said over your life, maybe the things you've done to people over your life. That Jesus, our sin bearer, went on that cross and took your sins upon him. And he died in your place. He's opened the door to forgiveness, he's opened the door to your salvation, he's given a gift that you have to receive. The way the man said it, it can be said in a million different ways. The man said, remember me. And you can say tonight even, if, if you haven't been forgiven yet, if you haven't received forgiveness of sins, if you haven't been saved yet, maybe it's your time to say, Lord, a sinner, forgive me. Lord, I couldn't save myself. I don't trust in anything else. I lean upon you. I trust in you, Jesus. Save me. Save me. And you will. Please. Don't leave here tonight thinking, well, I'm probably good enough. I've probably earned it. I've probably deserved it. If that was the case, Jesus, would, Jesus wouldn't have to go to the cross for you. He died in your place so that you wouldn't have to. He died in your place so when you trust in Him, God can declare you righteous, not in your merit, not in what you've earned, but on what Jesus did, on who Jesus is, His character, His righteousness, His holiness. Please, trust in Him tonight. Put your faith in Jesus, and he will save you. He will bring you to be where he is. Praise God.
let's stand and let's sing out to the one who loves us.
Jesus' uh, hours on the cross were... We, we don't know. We weren't there. The evangelists tell us very little about what happened that day. I suppose if they wanted to give us a blow-by-blow view, they could have, and we would have books, encyclopedias of knowledge and insight about what happened. They, they tell us that, that Jesus went there intentionally. The different gospel writers, a fourfold kind of witness to his sacrifice and his suffering and his death for us, they, they don't leave it to guess as, as to why he ended up there. They tell us again and again that he went intentionally. Now, now we remember our, our Lord when he was when he was in the garden. Uh, he he told his 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 disciples, "Watch him pray, watch him pray that you don't fall into temptation." And and he he called them to pray, and he he went away and prayed himself, and he would come back, and and they were sleeping. Simon, couldn't you keep watch for one hour? You know, three times in, in the, the prayers in the garden. He, he knew it was coming, but he didn't stop. Remember how, he, remember how he prayed like, Father, if this cup can pass from me, if there's another way, in other words, if there's another, another way forward, please bring it about, but not my will. Your will be done. He surrendered himself. He, he submitted himself to the Father's will to accomplish our salvation. Again, I'm, I'm just stunned at his love. I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe, aren't you? Aren't you in awe that he would pursue us? That he would want us so badly in his kingdom? He'd want us so badly to be with him for eternity? Um, there, there's some, some moments that are, are hard to read and, and difficult to wrap our minds around. This is from John chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. The tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots to see whose it shall be. And I've always wondered what they would want in his clothes. I mean, the bloodied clothes. Uh, he, he's not wearing a rich man's tunic. He's not wearing fine garments stitched in Italy. He's uh, wearing something that is uh, probably just carpenter's clothes. But maybe they're having their fun. Maybe they have nothing to do other than watch uh, men die. And so they got in the habit of gambling and they gamble for whatever. (laughs) And again, that's his last possession, so to speak, on earth. And he's up there on the cross and he's suffering and and, he's struggling again to breathe. And the, the pain must just be searing. The, 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 
the agony, maybe the flies have started to gather on, or the mosquitoes have started to gather on his wounds, and maybe the bloodsuckers have come already, and, and they are taking advantage of his open sores, and he's suffering, and yet there they are. He's looking down upon them, and they're throwing dice for his clothes. Again, to them, he's a nobody. To them, he's a nothing now. He's crucified. But there are some others who gathered near the cross who don't see Jesus as a nothing or a nobody. The scriptures were fulfilled that night or that day. They divided my garments among them and for my clothes, the clothing they cast lots. We have in Jesus' passion fulfillment of scripture Again, with the idea that this has been something that God foresaw long ago, that even God planned. But the cruelty and the ugliness of the humanity, and yet the love of humanity. While the soldiers did these things, verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So it looks like, depending on how you read that or how your translation interprets it, there's four women there. Uh, maybe the soldiers don't see any threat from the women. They let the women come near the cross. Uh, they're not alone. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, The, uh, the inhumanities all around, the mockers are still around, the, the entertainment, there's probably people in the background laughing, and yet his mother comes and she's weeping, and flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Can you imagine being a parent and seeing your, your child suffer that way? Even if she knew uh, beyond the, her contemporaries the, the nature of Jesus, remember the prophecy that came to her, the angel that came to her when, when she was when he when he was conceived and so she knew much more than most people and yet that was her boy uh, and and so Jesus has all of his own issues here we don't know uh, exactly when the wrath of God came upon Jesus maybe it's when the darkness came at noon but Jesus is dealing with a lot of his own issues right here. He's dealing with a lot of pain and suffering and agony. His flesh is crying out, screaming at him. All the pain sensors are going in, insane. And yet he sees his mom there. And, and again, Jesus, the selfless one. We, we, sometimes we think of God uncaring or unseeing. And maybe, maybe you've gone through some things, some sufferings in your life, some trials in your life. And you say, God, where are you? Do you care about me? Don't forget, Jesus' love displayed on the cross for you. As you're going through your own darkness, remember the revelation of Jesus dying for you completely, absolutely, without hesitation. But it's just stunning that he would, he would take the moment there to look at his mother and, and to think, maybe she feels alone right now. Maybe she feels 
like her world's ending right now. And so he takes the time in his third saying, marching towards his death. Woman, behold your son. Now, I don't know where Jesus' brothers are right now. You know, Jesus being the firstborn, he's obligated to take care of his family. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament, the believers of God, we have obligations to take care of our family. It's shameful when we don't. The brothers, maybe they've gone back to Capernaum. Maybe they've gone back to Galilee. Maybe they've gone back. They've left. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. Where are they? We don't know where they are. Uh, We know that James became a believer at some point. Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection, but we don't know where the other brothers are. But at that moment, there's John, and there's Mary, and, and Jesus entrusts Mary to John. Behold your son. John, behold your mother. What a gift of grace. What a gift of love. Now you start adding these up, these, these, these sayings, these sufferings, these trials, and, and yet selflessness and continually thinking about others. Father, forgive them. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Mother, you're taken care of. I've got it covered. Don't worry. Isn't our Jesus awesome? Isn't our Jesus incredible? Always thinking about us. Always, always concerned about us. Now, 1 John, in chapter 3 and 4, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. But man, we start seeing these sayings and we start seeing Jesus' life. This is how we know what love is. Selflessness, giving, sacrificing, meeting our needs, taking care of us. We all have to walk through this this veil of tears and suffering that this life is. But Jesus is always there. Jesus is always concerned about it. And here at the cross, we see his glory. I think we should give thanks to God tonight. I think we should praise Jesus for his love. We should praise him for his graces upon our life, grace after grace, mercy after mercy. Has God delivered you? Has God saved you? Has God blessed you? Has God taken care of you? Or maybe even tonight you're saying, well, thank you, Jesus. In our, in our congregation, in our tradition here, we're often pretty stoic. We're often pretty quiet. Sometimes I don't think we have to be or that we should be. On this day that we commemorate Good Friday, on this day that we commemorate Jesus' sacrifice and his love for us, can't we spend some times right now together lifting our voices and giving thanks? Shouldn't we praise him tonight? Shouldn't we exalt him tonight? And so for wherever you are, up in the balcony, down in the seats on the floor. Maybe right now, and it's okay. Just start saying, thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. I exalt you, Lord. And tell him why. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Praise him. Lift your voice.
Acknowledge him. Thank you for bleeding for me. I love you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Thank you for delivering from addiction. Lord, we praise you tonight. We magnify you tonight. You're so worthy. Lord, I, I, I can imagine maybe Mary, uh, many years later, just, just remembering that day of, of your death, your sacrifice, and, and from the other side of the cross, seeing your glory and your wonder and, and that you were the King of Kings and you were established as Lord of Lords. Uh, we imagine Mary maybe just looking back and, and just in awe that you would love her so. And Lord, we're in awe that you would go to the cross to pay for Mary's sins. We're in awe that you'd go to the cross to pay for John's sins. We're in awe that you go to the cross to pay for our <coughs> sins. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Worthy is our God. Worthy is our Savior. Worthy is the one who's loved us so abundantly and incredibly and sacrificially. God, we love you so much. We say thanks tonight. We acknowledge you as our God, as our Lord and our Savior. Your name, above all names, we praise. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The, uh, the hours went on. The uh, heartbreak went on. The suffering went on. But something shifted about noon. He'd been on the cross for three hours. And when the sixth hour had come, this is Mark chapter 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, till three o'clock. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakpatani means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, there's traditions around that have different interpretations of what's happening here. 
One, one tradition says that Jesus has suffered so much, he's been in, in pain for so long, he is losing his mind, he's losing his faculties, he's losing his, his, his purpose, he's losing perspective, he's losing his peace. Some would even say maybe at this moment he's lost his faith. And, and you know, he hasn't had a drink of water for so long and he's so dehydrated his body is probably about ready to shut down. And, and is, 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 he, is he seeing the, the enemy of our souls? Is, is Satan coming to him during this time and mocking him? Is he under attack in, in ways we can never understand? He was. He is the Lord. And yet he's... So, so one tradition says it's, it's a cry of desolation. It's a cry of of ruin. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? As to his human life, I imagine he did feel forsaken. As to his suffering and his pain and his tribulation, wouldn't you feel forsaken at that moment? His, his humanness, his, his, his mind, his, his, his body, all breaking down, all coming to a crash. And the God who he'd been with for eternity. Can you imagine the love of the Trinity for eternity? Perfect love among the Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus had never been separate from that love. Jesus had never been distant from that. Even, even becoming incarnate, even taking on a human body, still fully God, but fully man, even there, the Spirit was with him. He was never alone. And now, what's happened? What's going on? The, 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 the time at, at, at noon is the time where, where the sun stopped shining, as it were, where the clouds came over. We're not sure. But it wasn't an, an eclipse. It wasn't some natural phenomena it just took place randomly, coincidentally. The darkness coming over the land was a symbol, a sign, a divine sign, a divine symbol of displeasure, a, a picture of, of God's anger, perhaps, a picture of God's wrath. What is wrath? What does it mean that God is wrathful? Sometimes it, there's a caricature of God up in the heavens ready to throw his lightning bolt down. He's just randomly wrathful and hateful of, of people. No, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God we worship. Wrath is God's hatred, His divine hatred towards sin. Remember, Jesus is the sin bearer. Remember, Jesus has taken your sins. I nailed Him to that cross. My sins put Him on that cross. Sometimes we talk about our, our, uh, our Jewish brethren and and the anti-Semitism comes out like those Jews, remember the Germans and Nazis, how they, they justified some of their evils by blaming the Jews. But we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We're the ones who put him there. He became our sin bearer, and there was a time and a place. Now, the, the physical suffering, the, the, the ruin of his body, I, 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 I've, I'm a man who hasn't suffered much in my life. Maybe, maybe you have. I'm certain. I'm sure that many of you have suffered much more than I ever have. But his, his body was one thing, but I think the greater pain, 
The greater suffering maybe began at noon, and theologians debate about when the wrath of God started to pour out on Jesus. But the darkness coming is a symbol of his divine displeasure, God's divine displeasure. And maybe for three hours, that's when he felt the brunt of the wrath of God. And so we certainly could, if there, in one tradition, we certainly could understand why it would be a cry of desolation and ruin and woe because God is suddenly, the Father whom he loved from eternity has suddenly become his enemy, suddenly become his, 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 his punisher. And yet, there's another tradition that interprets this differently. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting scripture. And I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 22, but the, the rabbinical thinking, the rabbinical mind, the way that the rabbis talked about scripture, uh, they would memorize long portions of scripture, long psalms or long parts of the Bible. And instead of quoting the whole section of scripture, they'd, they'd quote the first line or the first phrase. And so he's quoting, he's saying in the moment of his desolation that some people think he's going through, in the moment of his ruin, in the moment of the purpose of his being on the cross to receive the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to, to be punished, so we wouldn't have to. He has the foresight, he has the knowledge to preach. And he's, he's saying, this is not what you think it is, I'm not... Opposed to God, I'm not God's enemy. This is not what you think is happening. This is fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, the, the, probably if there is still some of the Sanhedrin there, maybe some of the Pharisees who had accused him and some of the Sadducees who hated him, maybe if they're still standing there, they would have known what Psalm 22 said. If you've ever read it, the first, say, 20-some uh, 20, uh, 20 verses, maybe the first 21 verses, there's this, the, the psalmist goes through trials and tribulations. The psalmist wonders where God is. He says, I remember how you took care of the forefathers, how you answered their prayer, but why aren't you answering my prayer? And he walks through various difficulties. But the interesting thing with Psalm 22 is there's many prophecies about what happened on the cross in Psalm 22. And so Jesus knows Psalm 22 and he knows it's about him. He's saying, these things are happening on purpose. These things are taking place because of the Father's uh, foreordained plan. It's coming about because of, what's, because of what God wants to do to save you. But the second half of Psalm 22, it, it, it's a song of praise. It's a song of, of wonder, of God's goodness and His grace. The psalmist who said, where were you in the first half of the psalm? Jesus says, why have you forsaken me, perhaps for a moment? But the second half of the psalm is vindication, God's deliverance, God's rescue. So Jesus, at the cross, at the moment of maybe the wrath of God starting to pour out of him, pour upon him, he says, my God, my God. And Psalm 22 is, at the end, all the brethren will praise you. All the world will praise you for what you've accomplished. And so as Jesus is saying, this is the work that God has sent me to do, and it's going to be accomplished. It's a psalm of celebration. 
of salvation, of rescue, of a deliverance. And so Jesus, it's not a cry of desolation. It's not a cry of giving up. It's a cry of praise God. The work of God is being accomplished, and he's going to save me. He's going to save me. Isn't, isn't God's plan incredible? Isn't his purposes, his, his works, aren't they wondrous? That he would voluntarily come down and go to the cross for our victory, for our deliverance, for our rescue, and that we would become his worshipers. Take a moment, close your eyes, silently ponder the cross. Take in, if you can, the the journey to the cross, the suffering on the cross, his death. For just a few silent moments, be in awe.
the darkness is overtaken, the passion is nearing its close. The last few hours, people growing fearful, people maybe wondering what's going to happen. He's turned over his mother to John. He's uh, preached the gospel. He's preached the good news that God's going to win, that God's going to overcome in the end. And yet he's on the cross and he's nearing his death. What else is there? What is there to do? What is there to accomplish? John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. His sixth saying on the cross, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. John ends his testimony of Jesus' life there, but there's one more saying. The words here are, are, you know, deep, and and sometimes we, we miss them. Jesus, and, and I think the women are still there, and Mary's still there, and John's still there. He doesn't have much of a voice left by this time, but maybe they're at his feet and they can hear him whisper. They can hear just, just the, the gravelly voice say some final words. We're, we're not sure how that played out. But he, 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 know, he says, knowing that all was finished. Now the word there, uh, teleos, the, the, there's a goal, there's an outcome, there's an end to something. The, it, it, the, maybe the better translation is completed. Knowing that all was completed. He, uh, he knew that through the last days and weeks, the time going to Jerusalem, uh, all the teaching, the final teaching of his disciples, all the, all the things he accomplished, all, all the things that he wanted to get across, the, the, you know, the washing their feet, explaining how to love people, explaining how to give your life away, telling them, I did not come to, to, to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. All, all the times he said, I, I'm going to be mocked and spit upon and, and flogged, but on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. They didn't get any of that. They, 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 they just... They didn't think a Messiah could suffer, and yet here he is. They didn't think a Messiah would die, but now at the end, he says it's completed, it's finished, and then to fulfill Scripture, which is an interesting thing to say. He's done it all, but he doesn't want to end without everything being completed. Uh, Jesus, the author of life, Jesus, uh, the one who sent the Spirit into the apostles' lives, the the Lord Jesus, uh, knowing the Scriptures backwards and forwards, he he has a Scripture in mind. And we think it's from Psalm 69, verse 21. 
They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Remember at the beginning of the journey on the cross, his passion, his suffering, how they offered him gal mixed with wine or myrrh mixed with wine, a sedative, a painkiller, and he wouldn't take it. And yet at the end of his journey at the cross, they gave him some sour vinegar wine, cheap wine that the, uh, the lower class would often drink. They gave me, for my thirst, sour wine to drink. And Jesus knows the scriptures. He knows that he's come to fulfill God's will. And he wants all of God's will to be done. And so we think what's happening here is, is he's maybe remembered. He's maybe the plan. It's got to all be done. It's got to all be completed. It's got to be all be finished. Maybe in his mind he said, okay, so I'm about ready to die. I've got to fulfill this scripture too. So he prompts the soldiers by saying, I thirst. Now, this is the first time that he's talked about his human need, the first time that he's talked about his own suffering. Uh, in, in the Middle East, if, you, if you're hanging on a cross on a hot, dry day for six hours, you've uh, lost most of your blood, you, you're dehydrated, you're exhausted, the flies, the, the insects are all over you. You, you're, you're in such agony. He hasn't drank for so long. I thirst would be a realistic statement. Uh, 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 if you've ever gone any length of time of being dehydrated and needing water and you can't get water, it's agony, it's torture. And so he's... Voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And so the gospel tradition... Some of the evangelists heard some things, and the others heard some other things, and we have this great, this, these witnesses that show us different angles, different perspectives of what happened. Jesus' last saying on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. <clears throat> the sun's light was failing, the way Luke talks about it, the, the sun was hidden, but then when Jesus said, it is finished, and, and he follows it up with, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. Again, that, that the sovereignty of our Savior, the power of our Savior, the, the authority that he has, he gives up his spirit, he gives up his life. And what's uh, wonderful about this, what's wondrous about this, is we read about the veil being torn in two. Have you heard about that before? The idea that in the temple, that the truth that happened, that the, the gospel writers report, that, that when Jesus died, that, that, that curtain in the temple that separated the common from the holy, that separated the normal people from going into God's presence, it was torn in two. And not just torn, but from the other evangelist reports, from the top of the curtain, and it was a very thick curtain. From the top of the curtain down. In other words... God tore the curtain. God removed the veil. God opened the way to relationship, opened the way through the work of Jesus, through the accomplishment of Christ and the cross. We find on Sunday morning a risen Savior. We remember on Sunday morning that Jesus rose from the dead, which was what? One, one aspect of it was that God said yes to Jesus' work. When Jesus said, it is finished, 
God said amen with the resurrection. It's a beautiful and a wondrous moment of, of time in history. Now, some, some traditions, again, some ideas say that the, the moment that the temple veil was torn is when God left the temple because the new temple, Jesus, was here. The new way to God was present. But we know from Acts that uh, the, the disciples continued to gather in the temple courts. They continued to worship. They continued to meet in that place. So there's a transition period, perhaps. But now, through Jesus Christ, through his once and always sacrifice, remember, remember for, for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, can you imagine the millions of animals that died shedding their blood? The rivers of blood that were poured out to cover sin. Jesus paid it all. Jesus died on that cross, a one-time-for-all sacrifice that whoever believes in him can be forgiven of their sins. Whoever trusts in him, whoever turns their life over to him, brought into relationship with God, reconciled to God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What a great, great moment. Uh, at the end, Psalm 22 talks about God always being there. At the end, he, 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 when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't like for losing his faith. He wasn't a, you know, like out of his mind, like, like somehow thinking that God actually abandoned him. He knew that God was there. The Father was always there. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God has been with him the whole time. Just as in our trials and our sufferings, God never leaves us because he loves us. He's got us. But Jesus says, Father, I entrust my life, my future to you. And he dies. What are you afraid of? What is scaring you today? What, what, what things are, are causing you to tremble? Shouldn't you entrust yourself to the Father as well? Shouldn't you turn over your sins to Him? Shouldn't you turn over your sufferings to Him? Shouldn't you turn over your fears to Him? Shouldn't you turn over your future to Him? as Jesus did. I, I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. I, I don't know what bill collectors are calling or what doctors are calling or what diagnoses you've faced. But I read about Jesus in a hopeless place, so to speak, in a deadly place with nowhere to run to, with nowhere to go, nailed to a cross. And he says... Instead of trying to do it himself and trying, trying to make it happen himself, trying to make things transpire in the way he wants under his control and his power, he surrenders his life to God. Shouldn't you do the same? Why wouldn't you do the same? Why wouldn't you entrust your life to the one who loves you so greatly and so wondrously? Jesus paid it all. He gave it all. He died for us. 
we're, we're going out now. We're leaving this place. We've worshiped our Lord. We've acknowledged his greatness. We, we've celebrated his love. We've praised him for his goodness and his grace. Sunday's coming. And we get to rejoice and remember and celebrate that the grave wasn't his end. And if you turn your life over to Jesus, if you turn your life over to God, if you surrender to him, your life is never over either. Jesus will save you. Jesus will keep you. Jesus will hold you forevermore. Please, as the music plays in the background, you're welcome to stay, and maybe you have some work to do with the Lord tonight. Maybe you need to spend some time praying. You're welcome to stay and pray and ponder and reflect. But don't leave here without trusting in Jesus, surrendering your life to Jesus, giving him thanks for what he's done. God bless you. God has blessed you by giving you his only son. Turn your life over to him and live for him now. He's worthy of your life and worthy of your praise. Lord, we, uh, we love you and we're, we're so grateful. We, we, words don't even express, but thank you for letting us worship you tonight. Thank you for letting us remember tonight. Thank you for letting us exalt you tonight. And uh, may the world know. May the world come to see how great you are. May the world come to know your love. May the world turn themselves over to you. May, uh, may your name be great. <laughs> and may more and more worshipers arise. Thank you for having us tonight, Lord. We love you too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Go in peace.